Hey, Victory family. Hey guys, hey, we got the whole Victory family with us today. So let's welcome Hamilton Mill. Let's welcome the Midtown family. Let's welcome our online family. We got people from South Korea, Nigeria, and India today. I love it. I love being a part of a church that's literally going uh, across even to the uttermost parts of the world, like even right now. Um, so a little bit about my story. So the day Summer uh, told me that she was pregnant in 2004 was probably the happiest day of my life to the parents out there. You know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, you know, like many others, we had struggled for a while trying to get pregnant, and it was even to the point that uh, the doctor had told her to stop trying. Like, it's not going to happen. Just give up. Like, he was a great doctor. We're so glad God blessed us with him in our lives. Um, and so because of that, what happened was I, I was driving home from, one, uh, from work one day, and I was just, you know, you call it prayer, but you're really just complaining you know, out loud and just hoping God is listening. And so I was complaining to God. I'm just like, God, why? Like, I don't get it. This is so frustrating. This hurts my heart. Like, this is a desire of our hearts. Like, are you even listening? Are you even out there? Do you even hear us? And I, I, I still remember it, like, in, in living color that I, I pulled into our driveway way back then, turned off the car, closed the door, took a step, and I heard God as clear as day say, their names will be Jeremiah and Isaac. And I remember it was like so real. I ran inside. I told Summer, I was like, you won't believe what God just said, right? And we worship and we pray and, and we thank God. And fast forward a year later, 2004, and she tells me that she's pregnant. And this, this well, like, I mean, this, I was actually telling Jeremiah, uh, my son, this yesterday. I, I just, you know, reminding him and reminding myself that joy that came in my heart when she said that she was pregnant. And then in 2005, April 2005, Jeremiah, my firstborn son, is born. And I remember every time I looked at Jeremiah, I was reminded that God keeps his promises. And then a little while later, maybe about a year and a half, two years later, Summer came uh, to me again and she said, I'm pregnant. But this time I can't even explain it other than it was just God's hand, God's grace in the moment on me and on us, it was a completely different emotion on the inside of me. There was not joy. There was this foreboding. There was this like, something's not okay. And little did I know, she felt exactly the same way. We just didn't talk about it until later on. And you fast forward and she had a miscarriage. And I remember all those waves of emotions going on, like, God, I thought you said, come on, somebody, like, God, you made a promise. God, we just lost Isaac. What does this even mean? Like, how, how, how would you tell me their names will be Jeremiah and Isaac, but we have Jeremiah, but we lose Isaac? God, that doesn't... God, I need your help. God, what in the world did you, did I even hear you to begin with? And all those emotions, if I'm really honest, they turned into bitterness and they turned into prayerlessness and they turned into a time where, listen, I was a pastor, right? I'm a pastor here at Victory at this time. And I would come in and I would lift my hands in worship, but I left my heart at home. 
Because you, you know, the word in the Bible for offense in the Greek is scandalon. And what scandalon means, it's a trap or it's a snare. And God says this, that we have an enemy of our souls called the accuser of the brethren, right? And, and he is working over time, everywhere, trying to set traps of offense, little quicksand pits of offense between you and your kids and your kids and you, you and your parents, you and your spouse, you and your siblings, you and your coworkers, you and your neighbors, you and your small group, right? Some of you don't even go to small group because they know what they did, right? And the devil wants to get you stuck in the quicksand of offense back there so you can't go there where God is telling you to go. But we, listen, we have a God who wants to set us free so we can actually live this amazing life to the fullest that Jesus bought for us through the cross and through the resurrection. And as those who God has placed his greatness in, we will never experience the emancipation of that greatness when we're stuck in the quicksand back there. So here's the deal, guys, get ready. Because here's what I know. I found out that the enemy doesn't only set quicksands, traps of offense between us and other people, like we talked about last week. One of the greatest places that the enemy sets traps of offense is actually between us and God. You know, and here's the deal. This, if you've been around in church world long enough, you know this is something we don't talk about very often because we don't really know what to do with it, right? Like, what do you do when God lets you down? And there's just kind of this general consensus, right? Of like, you just kind of grin and you bear it and you tip your hat, say, thank you, sir. May I have another? And you just keep moving, right? And sometimes that works. But what do you do when you get stuck? You know what I'm talking about. This is, this is the idea of scandal on. This is the idea of offense. This is the idea of the quicksand, the trap of offense. What do you do when it's like, I know I'm supposed to keep moving, but I'm still stuck. Like my body's over there, right? Time has passed. I'm over there. But all of me is still back here where it happened. Like what, what do I do when I get stuck? Come on, because you know, this is real, guys. Like, you know that new girl at small group, like Veronica? Like, and Veronica just got saved last week and she started tithing on Sunday and she got the 100% raise on Monday. <laughs> and you're like, God, I've been a Christian since before I was born and I've been tithing for 80 years and I, I still can't pay my bills. And her, she, Veronica. Like, come on, what do you, what do, you do when like the kid's neighbor prays for his dog and it rises from the dead. But you go to the hospital and you pray for that person and they never get out. You know, I've heard it said before, let's be real. Like, come on, come on, like, let's not hold punches. I've heard it said before, like somebody's like posting on Facebook, praise God, you know, God put extra gas in my tank so I wouldn't run out of gas. I prayed and it happened. And then somebody's like, what about the Holocaust? God answered that prayer, but not... Not that one. And you're sitting back, like watching life sometimes, and you're like, God, what about me? Like, where's my miracle? Like, where's my story? Why is everybody else got a story? Where's my story? Right? To, 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 to the, the husband and the wife who've been praying for a child who hasn't come. To the ones who lost a child in miscarriage. To the single person who's been praying for a spouse for years who hasn't come. 
right? To, to the graduating high school senior who feels like they're missing out on everything because of COVID, right? To the one who just watched another Christian leader fall and is now disillusioned themselves and is on the fence with God. To the one who's been on the cancer carousel, right? It's here, then it's gone, then it's here, then it's gone. They're like, God, where, where's my miracle? God, you got to change it, but you didn't. God, I asked for X, but then Y happened. God, I prayed, but it didn't seem like anything happened. And yes, we know the right answers. Come on, guys. We know, we know that God always answers prayer. This is our faith statement, right? We know that God always has three answers for prayer. Yes, no, and wait. But what, what do you do when you don't understand why God is telling you to wait? What do you do when you don't understand why God said no to that prayer and yes to that? There, that person's over there. Because if the gap between expectation and reality is where disappointment sits, then a lot of us are praying, God, what I thought was going to happen is not what's actually happening. And if I'm really honest, I'm really disappointed in you. Proverbs 18, 14 says this, the human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? Come on, what do you do when you're disappointed in God? Right? And this is where we have to be careful. Because if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves thinking these sorts of thoughts. Like, I'm not offended at God. I just stopped praying because he doesn't talk anymore. Right? I'm not offended at God. I just don't go to church anymore since mom died. I'm not offended at God. I just don't pray for the sick anymore because he doesn't do that any longer. Because I tried that one time. And it takes us to this place where we serve God because we know we're supposed to, but we don't love him anymore. Right? And, and we may be here in the room or you may be online, but your heart's in the other room. Because we're still stuck. And offense will keep me in sin patterns, right? Because God, you weren't there for me, so why should I be holy for you? And offense, listen, and even with this thing, emancipating greatness, you know, we're talking about like, God wants to get the, the, what he put in you out of you. God, I don't really want to get what you put in me out of me because I don't really like you right now. And these are all things that we would never say out loud, but these are all things that a lot of us think internally we've just embraced over years because we have these unresolved disappointments with God. But just so we're on the same page, because some of you are already getting really frustrated at this, the idea of forgiving God is a bit of a misnomer. Okay, which means like forgiving God isn't really the right words, right? Because um, God, we can't forgive God because he's actually never done anything wrong to us, 
right? Because God is good and God is holy and God is just and God is righteous and God is always loving. Every single thing that he ever has done is loving. Like we know that, we know that, we know that, that no one has the right to pardon God because God's never sinned against you, right? He's never done anything wrong against you. Like deep down inside, we, we, like we know that, like we have to know that. We, we fall back on that. We trust that. At the end of the day, I trust that God has never done me wrong. So we don't need to forgive God, but sometimes it feels like we need to forgive God, right? Like it doesn't, we know that God's never wronged us, but sometimes it feels like God has wronged us. We know that God's not a million miles away, but sometimes it feels like God is a million miles away. And while we may not need to forgive God, listen, there are people here in this space, Hamilton Mill and Midtown online today, all across the world. There are people who we may not need to forgive God, but we do need to reconcile with God because we have these unresolved disappointments. And really, guys, listen, if, if, if you've been with us since the beginning of the year, you know kind of where we're tracking. And if you wanna know why we're doing this series right now, this is why we're doing this series right now, is that there are so many things that we need to tackle this next year. We're gonna talk about you know, embracing our identity in God. We're gonna talk about how to have a healthy soul. We're gonna talk about how to hear from God in prayer. We're gonna talk about all these things. But listen, we'll never step into any of it if we're offended to God. In fact, I'd say it like this. If our hearts are closed off to the only one who can help us, we've already lost. Come on, somebody. If our hearts are closed off to the only one who can actually help us, we've already lost. Now we're here trying to do it in our own strength. And you can't do any of this in your own strength. So knowing that many of us, we have these unresolved disappointments with God that we don't wanna turn into offense with God. What do we do from here? Here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you what I would just call three filters to run your frustrations with God through. There are no easy answers today, but I wanna give you three filters to run your frustrations through. Here's the first filter. Here's the first filter. In the midst of all my disappointments, in the midst of, of, of the chaos of my heart, am I focused on God or am I focused on people? Am I focused on God or am I focused on people? Um, Last month, I found myself uh, driving in a car with, you know, sometimes you just find yourself in these places and I'm kind of in this place in life where I, I found myself driving in a car with some of the like most well-known pastors in the country. And this nationally known leader um, who, is, who is at the, the top of church world and, and connected to pop culture, all this, um, he had a really public fall. He just had a really public fall. And he had just had a, a long-term affair exposed and possibly multiple affairs. And he was quasi-repentant, like he was a little repentant. Um, and so he had actually just been removed from his pulpit, from, from pastoring, um, especially with his, his condition. That was the right step to take. But we, were, we all just started talking about it. And then, because these guys knew this guy, and, and, and then we paused. There was just this eerie silence in the car as we just kind of let it sink in. One, how that could happen to any of us. Take heed lest we fall. And two, we were letting it sink in how many people would now blame him for why they don't follow Jesus. God, I don't follow you because of that guy. Because it's all fake anyways. And come on guys, if, if you got your ear to the ground, even here in Atlanta, one of our best 
one of the guys who went literally around the world into the most toxic, hostile, atheistic environments, and he brought the word of God into those environments. Some of the most vile and despicable things have come out about him since he passed away. And it hurts. I mean, even here on staff, we're sitting around, we're having pastoral conversations. It's like a gut punch. Brennan Manning says this. He says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. And this is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And here's what I've heard so many times over the years of doing this, is the church hurt me. Church hurt me. That's why I don't go to church. That's why I don't believe in Jesus. The church hurt me. And my response, whenever I hear that, I ask the question, what was their name? Because the church didn't hurt you. Most people think of the church as a building. The building did not hurt you. The building didn't throw a rock at you. A person hurt you, a leader hurt you, and probably a pastor hurt you. And in fact, listen, Hamilton Mill Midtown, this is why I told Pastor Randy, Pastor Mo, this is why I told them I wanted all of us together this weekend because I need everybody to hear me say this. As a senior pastor of the church, I need you to hear me say this. That listen, I love Jesus. I love my wife. I love my children. I love this church family. I would never do anything intentionally to hurt you. I would never do anything intentionally to to cause you to drift from Jesus. I want my life to be like the Apostle Paul who wrote this in 1 Corinthians 11. This is one of my life verses. This is one of my life memory verses. Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. I want you to be able to see my life. I want you to be able to imitate me as I imitate Jesus. I want want my kids to be able to validate who I am on the platform this weekend. Like, I want to live that sort of life, but I need you to hear me when I say this. I am not Jesus. And I will say dumb, insensitive things. I will make mistakes. I will get angry. I know some of you are like, no, no, that's impossible. Listen, ask my family. Yes. (laughs) And if your faith is in me, your faith is in trouble. Because sometimes leaders fall into sexual sin. And sometimes leaders abuse their authority and sometimes leaders lack empathy and listen, have grace. Sometimes leaders give prophecies that don't come true. And if you're not careful, you'll end up turning your finger away from them and pointing it at God and saying, God, you let me down. And here's what I found out, guys. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, including leaders including pastors, and I am sorry. I am sorry if a leader or a pastor has ever abused you. I'm sorry if I've ever said something or done something that's pushed you away from the Father. I am sorry if a leader here, I'm sorry if you signed up for a small group and nobody called you. I'm sorry if you, you were serving and somebody said something and it, and it did something inside you and now you're online because I, I, I just can't be around people right now. I am sorry if somebody ignored you in the lobby. I, I'm sorry, I apologize. Please forgive me. Please forgive 
us. But to all that, Paul writes this. Since 1 Corinthians 1.11, he says, my brother, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Well, is Christ divided? Was Paul, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Of course not. And what he's saying is this, I am so glad I'm your pastor, but please do not base your faith on me. Like, do you follow Peter? Do you follow Paul? Do you follow your mom? Do you follow your dad? Do you follow Johnson Bowie? Do you follow Dennis Rouse? Do you follow Randy Cochran? Do you follow Andrew Moman? Do you follow your small group leader? Or do you follow Jesus? Because there will be many on that final day who say, Jesus, I don't follow you because of them. And listen, as a leader, that's sobering to me because leaders will be held at a higher standard. But to the one who would actually embrace that statement, that should be terrifying. Because listen, listen, God will not judge you for their sins. God will judge you for yours. And when you stand before the Father, you better have Jesus. You better not be saying, well, I have my pastor. Listen, my blood does nothing for you, but the blood of Jesus does. The end of the day, thank God for godly people, but the end of the day, this is not about you and your pastor, or you and your friend, or you and that leader, or you and your parents. This is about you and Jesus. And so parents and pastors and leaders, they will sin against you, but the good news is God will never sin against you. God will never sin against you. And if I'm gonna stay out of the quicksand of offense in this life, I have to focus on God over people. God over people. And so that's the first filter I have to run my, my heart disappointments through. Where's my focus at? Is my focus on God over people? Here's the second focus. Am I focused on complaints or am I focused on charges? Am I focused on complaints or am I focused on charges? If I can tell you one thing today, hopefully this, that some, of you, some of you so need to hear this today. And it's this, it's not off limits to complain to God. God is not so fragile that you opening up your soul and he's going to be like, oh, that hurt my feelings. Oh, God. God's big enough to be able to take your body blows, all right? God's big enough for it. God is big enough to hear like, God, this hurt. I don't get it. I want to know. Like, I don't get, God help me. Like, God's big enough to take that. Listen, when you look at Job, right? Job went through the ringer. Job complains a lot to God right? Half, come on, half the Psalms are David like, uh, 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 uh. like Psalm 13, Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Come on, guy, anybody? God, how long will my boss treat me like that? How long will baby daddy treat me like, come on. <laughs> you can hear the pain in his voice. You can hear the frustration in his voice. In, in, in Jewish culture, there's something called sitting shiva. 
And what it is, essentially, when someone passes away in your family, there's, there's a cultural trend that you aren't allowed to cook, clean, do errands. You're not allowed to do the busy work. What you actually have to do is you have to go into a room, turn the light off, light a candle, stare at it, and face the pain. And what you do is you laugh and you cry and you worship and you scream and you complain to God. And what it does, it creates this environment where God can come in and now heal it. Why? Because blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. But if you never mourn, if you never complain, if you never get it out, you will not be comforted. And what happens is pain internalized can turn into poison. Pain internalized turns to poison. But here's what we have to know in the midst of our complaining. There is a world of difference between complaints and charges, right? Because a complaint says, God, this feels wrong. A charge says, God, you are wrong. You notice the heart posture difference. A complaint is this, this humble offering of like, God, help me understand a, a, a charge is a judicial smacking of the gavel that says, God, you did wrong and you're guilty and you owe me. There's a difference between a complaint and a charge. And I read this this last week, Jer Jeremiah 12, verse one through three, and then five, all right? This is Jeremiah, and he's saying this. He says, Lord, you always give me justice when I bring a case before you. So let me bring you this complaint why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? You have planted them and they have taken root and prospered. Your name is on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. But God, as for me, right? As for me, Lord, you know my heart. You see me and you test my thoughts. And then God responds. Lots of times in Jeremiah, God responds with empathy. Not so much this time. God says, listen, Jeremiah, if racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against the horses? How will you run with the horses? And the Lord was speaking to me about this this last week. And he was, he was kind of saying this. He, he, was, he was kind of drilling down on this. Is that complaints are nothing new. Right? People, come on. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? People have been saying that since the beginning of time. Like, complaints are nothing new. But we're coming into a day. Like Jeremiah was in a day. In essence, Jer God's almost telling Jeremiah, hey, Jeremiah, take heart. It's going to get worse. <laughs> and he's saying, Jeremiah, if you're getting worn out running against people, how are you going to run with the horses? How are you going to actually run the race in this next season if you can't keep up in this season? And I felt like God was saying this to us. He's saying, guys, you keep getting taken out by small offenses. How are you going to run the full big life that God has for you moving forward? And what God is saying is, guys, we have to be careful if we're the type of person who gets easily offended. If every single day you wake up and like, I'm still in this, in this job, God. I'm still, my husband's still doing this. My kid's still doing that. My wife's still doing this. My, my boyfriend, whatever. If, if we're always doing this against God, we better be careful. Because listen, we are, we are in a season and we're entering into a season. If we can't keep track with man, how are we gonna run with the horses? If we keep getting taken out by small offenses, come on, what God is saying today is we need to develop some grit with God. 
We need to develop some resilience in life because the enemy is always going to be accusing. The enemy is always going to be setting quicksand traps of offense between us and people and us and ourselves and us and God. And if we can't keep track in the last season, how in the world are we going to step into this greatness that God is calling us to in the future when this thing and this thing and this thing and then that's why God and that's why God. And God says, listen, yes, absolutely. I believe this. I believe this. I believe this to the deepest part of my soul. I believe it is better to complain to God than silently hold on to offense. I believe that. But it's time to drop the charges. And it's also time to get some, some toughness in our soul. Because we live in a world with a very active devil. And in too many of our lives, he's winning. We're barely holding on by a thread because of offense. So where's our focus? Is our focus on charges? Or is our focus on really saying, God, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the, God, oh, this hurts. Will you come in and help me? So are we focused on God? Are we focused on people? Are we focused on complaints? Are we focused on charges? Here's the final filter. Am I focused on trusting or am I focused on knowing? This, this interaction between John the Baptist and Jesus had always confused me. Matthew 11 says, when John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Let me pause. You would think out of anybody, John the Baptist knows that Jesus is the one. Like if you know your Bible story, right? John, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist was the forerunner, the one, uh, the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Like John the, ba John the Baptist, the story says when he was in Elizabeth, his mom's belly and Mary, his aunt comes close with Jesus in her belly. Like John the Baptist leaps. Like there's a connection there. You would think out of anybody, John the Baptist would know that Jesus is the Messiah. But now John's in prison. And he sends word, his disciples, his disciples to ask Jesus, like, Jesus, are you the one? Are you actually the Messiah? Are you actually the one? Because you're not doing what we thought that you would do. Because Jesus, we, we at least thought you'd be like calling down fire. We thought you'd be killing the Romans. Like, I thought you would get me out of prison. Like, do you even care? Are you even the Messiah? Is what I believe my whole life, is that actually true? And Jesus replies to him by quoting Isaiah 61. The Jesus is fulfilling prophecy in Isaiah 61. And here's what he says. Jesus replied to the disciples, go back. Report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news, the good, everybody say good news. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. But then he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What? Why would anybody stumble after hearing that? 
it's because equally as important as what Jesus says he's fulfilling from Isaiah 61 is what Jesus does not say he's fulfilling from Isaiah 61. See if you can notice this, Isaiah 61.1. This is where Jesus was pointing back. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the broken to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And Jesus leaves off the end part of that verse. And what he's saying is this, John, I am the Messiah. I'm doing what the Messiah does. But no, I'm not gonna get you out of prison. And blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. And you guessed it, that word for stumble is scandalon. Conjugated, blessed is the one who does not scandaliste because of me. What Jesus is saying is, blessed is the one who doesn't get offended when I don't do it just like you want me to do it. <laughs> blessed is the one who doesn't fall off the faith wagon when I don't meet your every need. Because what happens in, is when Jesus doesn't do what we want Jesus to do, there's this thing that rises up in our heart that says, are you really the Messiah or should we wait for another? Blessed is the one who doesn't get offended on behalf of me. When Jesus is saying is, John, can you still trust me even when you don't know why this is happening? Can you still trust me even when it doesn't make sense? And three chapters later, John is beheaded. Pastor Johnson, can you theologically like um, exegete why that happens in the text? No, I have no clue. I have no clue. I have no clue. Why Jesus didn't just go send an angel, like he did it for Paul and Silas? Why didn't he do it for John? I don't know. But, come on, do you think John the Baptist, like, opened his eyes up in heaven and was like, I demand to see the creator of heaven and earth and tell him why he was wrong to let this happen to me? Or did it all become clear in that moment? Was all of the pain swallowed up by glory? Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And guys, we don't know everything, and that's what makes this thing so hard because we live in a Google McDonald's culture, right? Where we think we know everything, right? Because you can type in a search and you get 100 million results in half a second. It tells you how fast it does it. Aren't you impressed? 
But at the end of the day, we know nothing. I don't know why something happened. Come on, I don't know what lies down choice A or choice B in life. We might know facts, but we don't, we don't have knowledge, right? We don't have wisdom. Isaiah 55, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, when Job is standing back complaining to God, what God does, God doesn't give Job a reason. God gives Job his resume. Hey, Job, let me just say, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Do you tell the eagle where to nest? Do you send out lightning and thunder? Have you ever seen the gates of hell, Job? He asked him that. And Job is like, uh, my bad. <laughs> um, I'll just trust. I'll just trust. See, guys, our starting point is incredibly important. Your starting point makes all the difference. Do we start at trust do, or do we start at demanding to know? Because if our starting point is trust, we can always add knowledge if it comes. But if it doesn't, we still have trust. But if we demand to know, and God, I'm not gonna trust unless I know, then it's not trust. It's not, you don't need faith. You don't need faith or trust if you already know. Faith and trust happens in the absence of knowledge. And so our starting point has to be trust. And listen, guys, at the end of the day, I have to trust that God is still telling a good story. At the end of the day, I have to trust that I am not forgotten. At the end of the day, I trust that God is good and God is kind and God is loving. I trust that God still cares about me, that I am not forgotten, that I am not forsaken. I believe that he is a good God who smiles when he thinks about me, that I, I've never been lost underneath the couch cushions. And I believe, I trust that God is working all these things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose purpose for them. I believe that. I trust that. I have to. I have to focus on trust. After Summer had her miscarriage, and I was kind of in that prayerless season, um, she got pregnant again. And we were absolutely convinced it was a girl. Cause that's what parents do. We do dumb stuff. We're like, oh, it's, yeah, it feels like a girl. Yeah, it feels like a girl. <laughs> but we were really, honestly think we, honestly think we were trying to say it was a girl because we were so disappointed in losing Isaac. And we were trying to protect our hearts. And then I preached a sermon at Fusion one time, right around that same season. And it was about not just talking to God, but actually listening. There's a lost art of listening. And it, it had been months since I prayed. And at the end of that, that message, I literally I sat down. <laughs> this is still in living color in my mind. I sat down on the floor while the worship team played. <laughs> 
And I just started pouring my complaints out to God. Why? Why? God, we haven't talked in a long time. Why? Why? It was just as fresh as it happened yesterday. Why? I don't get it. I don't feel like you kept your promise. Why? Please tell me why, God. Will you not tell me why? Why won't you tell me why? And then I stopped. And just this thing came up inside me and I said, but, but, even if I never know why, I'll still trust you. I'll still love you. And I'll still serve you all the days of my life. And right behind that breath, God said, he's with me and his name is Joseph. <sighs> Completely broke. Completely broke. Because this wave of compassion, these waves of promises swept over me. Because I knew, listen, if, I, if that was my voice, it was Isaac. And God didn't tell me why, but he did tell me where, that my son was with him. And that did more than any why could ever do. Which then caused us to kind of take a step back and we're like, maybe you aren't pregnant with a girl after all. And when that ultrasound showed that it was a boy, I knew that God still keeps his promises. And Isaac was born 2009. I don't know why. I don't know why it happened. But I do know this, listen. That it's not that becoming a Christian keeps us from suffering. Or else everybody would pray a pathetic, sad little prayer to become a Christian so they wouldn't suffer. Stop and think about it. If suffering got us out of Christianity, then God's just twisting everybody's arm, manipulating everybody to come to faith in Christ. But the difference is this. The world is alone in their suffering. But we have God with us in ours. And so do not push away the only one who can help you. And so what I want to do, I want to provide us an opportunity that I had so many years ago to talk and to listen, to open up because I want to leave you with this quote, to pray in pain, even with its messy struggle and tough questions is an act of faith where we open up our hearts to God. So let's open up our hearts to God together. Let's bow our heads. Father, some of us came in here today with really heavy burdens. And others of us, we have burdens that we didn't even know that we had because we've just stuffed them away. We've explained them away. We said, I'm not supposed to be upset about that. I can't do anything about it. And so we just buried it. But sometimes things that are buried turn into things that are bitter. 
And some of us today have carried offenses at you. But God, you are innocent. And today we make the decision to let you back in. Guys, I wanna lead you in a prayer. I'm gonna put it up here on the screens. And this is a prayer for those who have been far from God. These are people who have been bitter. These are even some of you who say, hey, I wanna to come to faith in Jesus. I feel this magnetic drawing to God today. And I, wanna, I want us to pray through this together across all of our campuses, okay? I'm not gonna repeat after me. Let's pray this together. Say, God, I'm sorry that I've held onto grudges and offense against you. I confess you have never wronged me. So today I choose to focus my faith on you over people. I choose to drop the charges I have against you. I choose to trust even when I don't understand. And today I'm getting out of the quicksand of offense. I want relationship with you. I let you into the places of my heart that have been blocked off. I give you my pain and my sin. And even if I never know why that event did or did not happen, I will still love you and serve you all the days of my life. I put my faith in you, Jesus, as the Son of God. Restore me, heal me, forgive me. I love you, God. Amen. God, take all these prayers and begin to do a magnificent healing mending work in our hearts today. So guys, here in all of our campuses, the worship team's gonna lead us in a song. And what I wanna do, I wanna invite you to get in whatever posture you need to get in. Some of you, let's just be honest, you wouldn't say it, but you haven't talked to God in a while. Others, maybe you're doing all the talking and you're not listening. Others of you just need to sit and soak it in. Others of you need to stand up, you know, lift your hands, you know, worship God freely because he's here. So come on, guys, let's run to the Father together.